tired. So tired. Overtired. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Overtired. It's me, Jeff. I'm here with Brett. We're alone. Christina could not be here this week. She's traveling. Uh, she's in Chicago, I believe. So, Brett, it's just you and me. How do you feel about that? I'm, I'm, you know, I love you. I always, I miss Christina. <laughs> miss Christina. I feel like the three of us have a, a really good thing going. But, you know, the beauty of having three co hosts is if one person needs a week off, the show can go on. That's true. The show must go on. You could say that, <laughs> probably. Um, and and in, in this case, the show is going on despite the fact that your face is completely uh, uh, ripped up and bloodied. What what happened to you? <laughs> so I, I was on my hands and knees working on my Synology. Um, <laughs> I, had, I, just, I had just unwrapped a 16 terabyte hard drive. And mm. what I meant to do was sit up. And what happened was I went forward and I don't know exactly. All I know is like, instead of coming eye to eye with the Synology on the networking shelf, I suddenly was seeing stars and I had plowed my face into the carpet. Uh, I had like a a throw rug down around this and, and I just face first into the throw rug, took a chunk out of my nose, scraped up my forehead ripped up my elbow it was and then i sat up and i'm i had no idea what had happened like it was very confusing to me and i looked down and there's like blood all over my hand and i like in a daze wandered upstairs and i was like oh my god what happened and like well i kind of just face planted into the carpet for no apparent reason so she wants me to go to the doctor now which i i will do out of respect uh, uh, out of concern for the why or out of concern for the, the why fact that somehow a rug destroyed your face? No, no. <laughs> out of the why, like, why did you go yes. down instead of up when, when, when you sent the signal to stand up, <laughs> why did you instead keel forward? Is it one um, of those things where you were, you were seated and in order to get up, you had to kind of lean forward to get a little momentum to get yeah. up and then you just didn't do the other steps? Yeah. I, I just, I skipped some steps bad program yeah yeah man i'm sorry (laughs) well i support as as a as a co-host and i know i speak for christina as well we support you uh going into the doctor we agree with l uh maybe it was like a blood pressure thing right who knows could be yeah could be medication related i have a lot of meds that affect my balance and wooziness and Wow. Um, I really wish Synology was a sponsor, so somehow we can wrap this up <laughs> into a sponsor read <laughs> and then maybe go to like ZocDoc. Um, I, mean, I really feel like we're living into a possible sponsor situation here. <laughs> a bunch of, bunch of corporate tie-ins for this one. Yeah, we're going to have to get everybody on the fifth floor on that um, and see if they can, they can work on it up there in sales. Um, well, I'm glad you're okay. That's crazy. Oh, I see your cat. So we're going to do a little more, Brett. It is the 19th birthday of the everlasting cat, Yeti, who has just, I wouldn't say marched into the screen. I said to knock on wood because you went and jinxed it. What happened? Everlasting? You said everlasting cat. I, I guarantee you he's not everlasting. The day will come. Oh, man. Okay, so 19 years old, though. Yeti yeah. is a part of you. Yeti, yeah. Yeti is... I. Other than a couple like brief trips out of town, I have seen Yeti every day for 19 years. 
That's and, amazing. Like I've had him from the day of his birth. Uh, his mom had FIV and we had to take her kittens away and she got euthanized and oh. we were, we raised the kittens and uh, yeah, it was, it was a be born of tragedy, but yeah. we immediately like, and I uh, honestly, like when there was a litter of six kittens and I wanted the tuxedo one. Um, because I had recently lost my cat trouble to a pit bull. A pit bull had. Uh, That's like, not funny, but you did just say, I lost my cat trouble to a pit bull. It sounds like the lyrics to a song I don't want to hear. <laughs> she, she had, she had, unbeknownst to me, had a litter of kittens in the closet um, because I was a young, irresponsible person who didn't spay their cat. And she, I lived in a we'll say a less than sanitary living situation. And she would escape through a broken window at night okay. and she got pregnant and gave birth. And I was oblivious to the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> but then yeah. she ends up trying to defend her litter against a pit bull that was visiting our house. And she lost mm. that fight. And that kind of fucked me up for a while. I bet. So when yeah. I'm faced with this litter of kittens and there's one tuxedo, kitten in the litter and yeah. i that was the one that i was gonna take um and my my at that point fiance's mom convinced me to take the one that looked like eddie munster um <laughs> and and over the course of the next couple of years yeti eddie munster yeti munster yeti munster um, Yeti became my cat. Just we just bonded and like he would fetch. I could throw a toy <laughs> and he would run down the hall and come back going, meh, meh, meh. And like bring me the <laughs> bring me like the foil ball back and we would play fetch and and he slept with me and we just we became inseparable. Well, and I, I've I've experienced not just in recording this podcast on video, but also in in our many 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 Zoom meetings together. Yeti can just kind of walk up on your desk and just start staring at you, and I'll see the back of Yeti's head, and Yeti's just staring at you. Yeah. <laughs> now I have to ask: This was Minneapolis with the with the cat yeah. trouble and the pit yep. bull. Yep. So there's a there's a pit bull in a house with a with a broken window. I gotta say, it, what that tells me is you were living with crusty punks. I was. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. Wait, no, actually, actually, I take that back. I had moved out of the Krusty Punk house. Okay. And I was living with a bunch of junkies who were also models. Wow. Models yeah. like it, what? They, Hand models, body models? What are we talking about? Body models. We're talking, we're talking Abercrombie and Fitch type of models. Not Abercrombie and Fitch. They were doing smaller time stuff, but like they would get makeup to cover up their track marks and mm. and it was actually a very different living situation than the punk house yeah. um but we were all severely addicted to heroin and uh that kind of ran that the house was kind of built around heroin addiction yeah yeah so funny i lived in houses like that in minneapolis in the day but i never was doing any drugs at all but everyone around me was doing those drugs i remember i lived in a house where i had a roommate who had an ak-47 with no safety that just laid uh what? against the wall next to his bed yeah we we did not <laughs> have guns at one point and this i bet you'll relate to at one point 
in the living room of this house we were in. This is a house that was in like a permanent state of foreclosure that a, a friend of mine kind of got hold of and and we were paying like almost nothing, no utilities or anything. It was over by MCAT or by the the art yeah. art institute and the art school. That's and, where I was um, living. On Clinton was it, we, surely we ran into each other. But there was a point <laughs> where there was about seven of us living in this place. I kind of like hid in my room all day, uh, working on my you know, my super radical politics zine uh-huh. called Wake Up. Uh-huh. Wake up. Um, but outside me, like I remember one day we spilled a five gallon bucket of paint that we had for reasons I don't understand. <laughs> and we were also eating Taco Bell. And for the rest of the time I lived in that house, there was a spilled thing of paint with Taco Bell wrappers <laughs> stuck in it. And I, I still wonder to this day, I'm like, okay, so you weren't you weren't a junkie. <laughs> you did no drugs at all. <laughs> like, how did you find yourself in these situations, Jeff? Because <laughs> that one, whoo, there are some stories. And that was like a famous, not famous, it was a it was a barely known um punk rock house where like the first time Green Day came through town, they slept on the floor this of the wasn't house. And, not Castle Chaos, right? Oh my god. I think that's what it was. It's got the <laughs> turret, the turret yeah, on top. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Castle, Castle Chaos. I didn't know it when it was Castle Chaos. I've been to basement shows there. Oh, my God. See, we only had the second and third floor of Castle Chaos. (laughs) So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is crazy. So I moved in (laughs) basically after Castle Chaos, as it was known, ended. The next scenario was this scenario I was in with the guy with the AK-47. And we had a meth dealer who also did shitty tattoos. Um, His Mm -hmm. name was Lips, which we called him. It was short for Apocalypse, which was the smell of his feet. Um, And he would (laughs) and he would give tattoos for for face tattoos. Yeah. No face tattoos in his case. Maybe he would give them. He didn't have them. I knew multiple people from Castle Chaos that had full face tattoos. Oh, my God. Castle Chaos. Okay, so just for my own sake, because this house enters my dreams really, uh, honestly, a few times a year. It was a it was a strange, magical portal of a place. (laughs) Um, And it was called a castle because it had this like turret or this almost like Rapunzel tower. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and it was so unique and it was so, so stunning of a house, but it was a total piece of shit. Yes. <laughs> I mean, for God's sake, it was called castle chaos for how many years? So what, how did you enter castle chaos? Uh, punk rock. Like I was in a punk rock band and it was just kind of a, it was a mainstay of the punk rock scene. Like, yeah parties and the occasional basement show and and you just you knew like you see the face tattoos and you'd be like hey castle chaos yep castle chaos yeah because they because you could get your face tattoos there i i don't know where all the face (laughs) tattoos came from but these are the people that worked at like sunny side up yes uh the breakfast joint with all the punk rockers and um yeah Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, I loved living there. And what I thought about, the reason I even brought it up is my my roommate there had two cats. One cat was named Yogsathoth and the other cat was named Kormazik. And and we called them Yagi and Kormi. And at one point, the ceiling in my room gave way and my room flooded. And, um, and, And once we cleaned it all up, it was still a completely destroyed ceiling, but the water was cleaned up because the part of living there for almost free was that no one's going to come and help you when the ceiling right. explodes. Right. 
But then the cats disappeared for a while, but they would appear every once in a while when I was sleeping, they would just show up in the ceiling above my head and look down at me, you know, <laughs> just like, let me know they're okay. Mm-hmm. But I can totally imagine them having a litter of cats in the, in the ceiling of this place. Before anyway. I lived, before I lived on Clinton Avenue, I lived on East Hennepin and we had a house where the landlord had basically let us move in. We were renting the whole house for about a thousand dollars a month. Um, and there were, I think eight of us and, um, I was the only person in the group who held down a job. So to this day, everyone owes me thousands of dollars, (laughs) There's always that uh, guy. but he basically told us that when we moved out, he was going to tear it down and he did not give a shit what we did to that house. Yeah. We had a similar situation, spray paint everywhere. We would like, we would have parties where people would literally go through walls and we just, that place was demolished by the time we left. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. (laughs) I don't know how many, how many of our listeners are listening and going, Oh, I relate. (laughs) (laughs) Relatable. (laughs) Relatable. Um, Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was fun. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'm just delighted that we shared some history of that space together. Um, okay. Why don't we, why don't we do a little mental health corner? I would love to hear how you're doing. And then, uh, I am going to, I'm going to interview Brett for this episode. I already started in a way, except it ended up being such a shared history, (laughs) shared history of complete fuckery (laughs) episode title. Anyway, how you doing, Brett? I'm I'm stable. I'm in that that kind of stable spot where I'm starting to get like bored, but grateful that I'm sleeping well and um just kind of emotionally at rest. Uh kind of getting work done. Not I'm I'm still base I'm on the depressed side of stable still. Um but it was a pretty light depression this time around. Um I did last night have trouble sleeping and had to take some uh, over-the-counter sleeping meds, uh, which worries me because last my last manic episode, which was a little more intense than it had been, uh, started with 10 days of kind of shitty sleep. Mm. Uh, and then all of a sudden it like clicked and I was manic and and off to the races and learning Swift and writing new apps. Yeah, and- right. I was... and and posting a blog post every 45 minutes <laughs> yeah right yeah. um and and it started with with getting completely worn down by just waking up at 3 or 4 a.m every morning and not like staying in bed not getting up and coding like i do when i'm manic yeah uh, but just staying in bed and tossing and turning for hours and then like finally getting up at six and and drinking coffee and going about my day but uh, this is how it began, and I'm trying to figure out if there's something I can do now. I have a therapy appointment today, and my therapist is pretty damn well-versed in hmm. bipolar. So I'm going to talk awesome. to him and see if there's something I can do at this point, well before I'm manic, to try to uh, control it a little bit, try to keep it manageable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, it's so awesome you have somebody. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it <laughs> took me took me long enough to find a therapist, but yeah, I think he's good. Yeah, that's how it goes. It takes people long enough, right? I'm going. I'm going in for the in person 
so far we've only known videos. So today oh, I get nice. to, I get to meet him in person and, and I'll let you know how that goes, man. I, my therapist only does, um, telehealth and I'm getting to a point where I wish I could do in person. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I'm curious. I'm curious what the difference is like, like he's hybrid. He'll do whatever works best for his clients. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was very curious to like, just see what the difference is like in person in someone else's environment. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm curious how I will react to opening up in an unfamiliar space instead yeah. of in my very cozy office where right. I feel very at home. Uh, maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll be worse. Uh, we're going to find out. Yeah. I personally find it easier in person. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Especially if the therapist has put some, some care into the, the room and the, and the appearance and the feeling of the place. And uh, so that there are just plenty of s signals that you are in, you are in a therapeutic space. Your only yeah. job is to be here at this time yeah. now, you yeah. know, and well, you it's can't kind of, see like, the other cues in your room. I haven't been to a yoga class in person for a couple years now. Um, and my therapist actually suggested I try going in person again now that that's an option. Um, yeah. Because it wasn't. I mean, pandemic for a while there, everything was Zoom based. Um, but then uh, L, my my girlfriend, who's also my favorite yoga instructor, um, <laughs> she started doing classes at the studio again, but also Zooming them. Um, oh, nice. And I just stuck with Zoom because I gained weight, not because of the pandemic. I just I gained weight. I was feeling not very confident about my body. Um, and it was easier for me just to be on Zoom with the video off and just yeah. do the do the class on my own. But yep, I, I do think there would be a benefit to uh, like when I'm Zooming yoga on my own, there's a pretty good chance I check my email in the middle of class. Yeah. In person in a zoo, in a like live studio yoga class, I would never check my email and, and it would be better for me. I would get more out of yoga if I didn't stop to check my email. How's, how's your mental health, Jeff? Um, I'm, I'm doing all right. I, one thing I've been really not focusing on that I need to, uh, is, so I take, um, I take medication that helps me sleep. I also take medication that um, helps me to not have horrible uh, nightmares, which has yeah. been a problem of mine for some time. And um, and that, this medication works beautifully for that. Every once in a while, one breaks through. <laughs> and I wake up and I'm just like, damn it. How did you get through and why? <laughs> um, and the how did you get through and why is something I'm working on right now, which is mostly looks like me thinking about not acting yet, but thinking about um, my transition to sleep because I have a tendency to just sort of collapse into sleep basically from the day. There's not much of a transition at all. There's like a pile of clothes by the side of the bed and, and, uh, and an iPad on top of that when I'm, when I'm done reading or whatever. Uh -huh. Um, and, uh, and so I'm trying to work on a sort of longish set of sort of signals to my brain that it's time to, time to go to sleep, time to rest. Um, and one thing that I know I shouldn't do 
is work on configuring shit on my laptop until <laughs> I'm ready to go to bed and leave my laptop next to me. Cause that makes it, that always makes for a bad sleep night. Cause my brain wants to keep solving problems. Um, and, uh, and it just knows that the computer's right there. So like an example yep. is I know to not have my laptop near my bed and have it downstairs. Um, but anyway, I'm just kind of working on that because, you know, my sleep's been great ever since we sort of dialed in what I needed medication wise, but there's, you know, there are things that medication can't solve alone. And, and that's what I'm sort of putting my attention to. So, yeah, which I mean, and to say like, I went so long, really almost from the beginning of the pandemic until about four or five months ago, six months ago, I was waking up multiple times at night, often waking up on the hour at night, not like exactly on the hour, like public radio style, but like inside of every hour, basically. And man, did that do a number on me. And so I am every day grateful when I wake up, when I realize I only woke up once. And I yeah. slept really, really good. So anyway, sleep, sleep. And you're back on your ADHD meds now. How's that going? I am. I'm taking my Vivance again. Um, that's going well. I haven't really, I, I'm trying to figure out the sweet spot for taking it. Like sometimes I take it right after breakfast. Sometimes I take it just before lunch. I have taken it in the early afternoon. Oh, um, Jesus. Which has, isn't bad for, well, it should be part of my sleep uh, factoring, shouldn't it? Um, yeah. But mostly it has I like, take it It has before. like a 16-hour half-life. I know. Mostly <laughs> I take it before 11 a.m., but I haven't found like a sweet spot for it. You for know? me, for me, it's 7 a.m. I take it 7 religiously. 7 a.m. I take my meds at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And, mm. and yeah, 7 a.m. is the sweet spot for me for sure with five ants if I want. Because I go to bed at like 9 p.m. Yeah, I'm I'm an early I'm an early to bed guy. Um, and and uh, taking it at 7 a.m. means I'm winding down by right. 9 p.m. Right. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah, I need to dial that in. But I mean, the good thing is it's it's working out for me. I, I'm on a very low dose, which is what I need. And and um, for anybody who's considering something like an ADHD drug, just just be so mindful of of does this dose feel right? Because I've had so many friends who who were given a higher dose than probably they should right away, or were bumped up significantly after starting at a low dose. Okay, and, so. Um, because yeah. I recommend Vivance to so many people newly di diagnosed with ADHD, tell me what a low dose is. Twenty milligrams. Twenty. Okay. I've had. I take, I've taken as much as sixty. Yeah, I I take sixty. It it goes up to seventy. Sixty is kind of where I found my sweet spot. Um, but yeah, like as far as ADHD medication goes, five ants is in my experience, the most mellow. Um, mm -hmm. it, and to, to, to that end, it's the least effective for me, but with my bipolar, it's the one that plays the nicest. Right. Um, that if it, if it weren't for Vivance, I probably wouldn't be able to be on any ADHD meds right now because everything else is so prone to triggering manic episodes for me. Um, and Vivance just kind of fits the bill for that. Uh, some people like you react strongly to it and, and it's yes. all they need at 20 milligrams. Vivance works great. 
uh, for me, 60 milligrams is still like, um, I'm still scattered and have trouble with motivation, uh, yeah. which I, I don't on a drug like Focalin or Adderall, uh, motivation is fine for me. Uh, Vyvanse does not solve that issue. Um, but it also, it doesn't cause me other problems. So it's kind of a, a good drug for that. Right. Right. Yeah, man. Yeah. Medications. Yeah. <laughs> um all right brett terpstra oh, by the yeah. way we should do a sponsor um, raid i talked to i talked to a friend of the show aaron dawson and she is totally down to make us some theme music for for like mental health corner and gratitude awesome. that we can like awesome we can play in we can we can i love we it. can break up our segments with a little theme music I uh, love she it. just she just wants some idea where to begin with it, uh, some some direction, and uh, and we can make this happen. So awesome! That's exciting. Com- coming soon to a podcast yes. near you. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Here's a question. Yeah. Is there anything that matters more than the safety of you and your loved ones? Well, hold on. That's the rest of the podcast right there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sponsor read. Go ahead. Of course not. So isn't it strange then that many home security companies don't act that way? This is why we use and trust Simply Safe Home Security. Their advanced security technology helps us sleep at night and they always put our family safety first. Here's why I love it. With 24/7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency even if you're not home or can't be reached. Simply Safe's monitoring agents truly care about your well-being and are highly trained to help you keep calm and safe during stressful situations, staying on the line with you until help arrives. Simply Safe's customer-first policies make sure that you're taken care of with affordable plans starting at less than a dollar a day and no long-term contract or hidden fees, because feeling safe at home shouldn't break the bank. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash overtired. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash overtired. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash overtired. I have I have over the course of having Simply Safe as a sponsor, I have really gotten better at saying the word monitoring oh like that is a really hard word for me because my brain wants to go monitoring Mm. monitoring monitoring word becomes a sound Mm -hmm. i over enunciate it but out of necessity well i'm glad to see your growth in that area (laughs) thanks man let's talk about another podcast so soul forge podcast What is that? It is the ultimate source for learning to live your best life. Episodes have covered heartbreak, dementia, suicide, and transgender issues. And there are episodes on sex, tattoos, collecting, road trips, and puppies. Exclamation point. You never know what the next episode will bring. So come on and forge your soul with the Soul Forge podcast. It's everywhere you find podcasts. I put out music every once in a while uh-huh. and it gets zero traction. Like I have dad jokes that get more response than the music I put out, which really leads me have to believe that. Have you just put music out? 
I did just put uh, a cover of the kinks. Um, not like everybody else. Oh, um, and yeah. And, and I really enjoyed doing a, uh, fun cover of it, but man, like my SoundCloud, I get like nine listens. Uh-huh. I'll like, I'll like tweet about it. I'll Facebook about it, you know, and I've got a fair number of followers yeah. and nine people will go check it out. And well, and you're about they, to get 10. I didn't and see and they, it. and they won't say anything. Like I'll get zero <laughs> comments about it and I'll just assume this feels good. <laughs> I'll assume it was so bad that people listen to it. and just like embarrassed for me. You ever been at a party where like the host like corners you in his bedroom and makes you listen to his demo tape? Uh, be less specific. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to me more than once. That's why I consider this a generality. Uh-huh, um, like, it. like when I was touring with a band and we'd go to like after show parties so frequently would like a, a, a host of, of whatever house we were at be like, Hey, come here, come here, come here. You got to hear this. You got to hear my one man four track demo tape. And then for like 30 minutes would like pummel you with sounds you just could not get excited about. <laughs> I, um, I did two things to prevent that kind of thing from happening to me <laughs> on tour. <laughs> one is I played drums in a way that I, I come to learn scared people. <laughs> <laughs> And the other is I slept in the van, no matter what the fuck we were doing. I was like, I am not going in there. I am not going through that portal in fucking Missoula, Montana. <laughs> like I have no idea what's going to happen in there. I want nothing to do with it. I so, sleep in the van. So what you're saying is I played bass too approachably. Yeah. He played bass too approachably. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, people say I'm a nice guy, but I get this feedback that I'm scary. <laughs> I used, I often, people would tell me when they first met me, they thought I was going to punch them. And I have never once met someone and thought I was going to punch them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, okay. It, I'm sure it has happened, but for the most part, I'm super into meeting people. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess I used to come off as very intense. Um, and I it's <laughs> yeah, still, this. to this day, I don't know what that's about, but yeah. I, apparently it's gotten better because People tell me I'm a goddamn delight these days. Aw, shucks. Except for whoever punched you in the face. Oh, wait, that was your carpet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we have a history now. Um, okay, I want to talk to you about something. And we're, we've are we we've gone pretty deep into the episode, but I want to try it anyhow. Um, okay. And see. So I've been... <laughs> I, I have used so many of your tools, Brett. It's how I came to be a guest on your podcast, Systematic, way, way, way back in the day. It was I followed your blog and you put out a call uh, for guests or guest suggestions, and one of my colleagues submitted me. I jokingly call the collection of tools that I use, your collection of tools that I use, Terpstra OS. Um, (laughs) And I've been sort of revisiting some of them recently, just because you have you know, in the last couple of years, you've added a lot to a lot of the things that I like to use. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about something that was just struck me so hard. So the thing that I love about your tools is that they allow me to forget. 
they give me confidence that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, not remembering is an extreme source of anxiety and can be a source of panic. Yep. And knowing that I can forget, therefore, brings me a sense of peace and ease. And so I listed, I have this list here, I listed uh, your apps that I use and your tools that I use. And then I made a remembering statement next to them because I was so <laughs> struck by this. So I'm just going to go through this. It's, bear with me, all right? Yeah. First one, quick question. Remember the elusive answer to a persistent question. Doing. Remember what I was doing or feeling and when. Bunch. Remember how I like my computer environment to be set up in countless contexts. How's it? <laughs> Remember how I built or configured a thing. Tag filer, which doesn't get talked about much. <laughs> <It doesn't. laughs> Remember where my documents go. Pod tagger. Remember how to do podcast metadata. Cheaters. Oh, cheaters. <laughs> Remember my keyboard shortcuts and commands and, and various little bits about my apps. And then Markdown service tools. Remember Markdown syntax and apply it, right? <laughs> it leaves out your writing stuff, NVAlt, NVUltra, Marked, Gather for gathering up Markdown from a web page. You know, Markdown editing for Sublime Text, which you don't control anymore, but which you wrote yep. uh, and I still use. I think you still use it, right? Yep, yep. Um, but it's so intense to me. I mean, it's intense how easy it is to make a remember statement for all your tools. When I read that list, what, what do you think? So I, I would like to, okay. I have, I have, I have multiple things, but, uh, first of all, uh, uh, I like Terpshire OS. Jay Miller came up with the term TT tools, Ooh. which I, I like because my name yeah. is B-R-E-T-T and my handle is T-T Scoff and we just go with T-T Tools. Um, yeah. I, when I realized, it came up on my calendar that it was Yeti's birthday, but I could not remember how old he was. And I remembered that I had had this question in years past. And all I had to do in my terminal was type QQ, Yeti's, how old is Yeti? QQ, how old is Yeti? And my my computer was able to immediately tell me what year he was born and, and extrapolate from there. Um, and that absolutely memory. I have a, I have a shit memory. I have an ADHD person's memory, uh, that has been affected by drug use and, and the meds I take. Um, I was on like, uh, stuff like, uh, what's shoot. Um, sleeping pills, uh, ambient type of pills for a long time, which just decimated my memory. And a lot of the tools I make are very much about being able to answer my own questions. Um, when I Google for the answer to a problem, there's a 50% chance I get my own blog back as a response. And that's where Searchlink came from. <laughs> like, search link oh right search link yeah search search link was a way for me to to find answers on my own blog without constantly switching to a web browser and yeah memory it it you're you are 100 percent correct that so many of my tools are just about being able to remember and being able to feel confident because 
it is uh it is very it's disconcerting and and anxiety producing to 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 know that you figure something out but that you will forget it um and in my case i'll forget it in a week it's not a matter of like a year later it's it's a week or less that i will forget that i found the answer to something and and that produces anxiety and just having ways uh goes back to like when i first read uh gtd by david allen this whole idea of mind like water and being able to have a trusted a trusted bucket where you could dump the things you needed to do and know that you wouldn't forget them that you would be able to find them and that you would be able to get them done and and my brain extrapolated that to i need a trusted bucket for literally everything i learn everything i figure out everything that i do i need a way to have some faith that i will be able to rediscover this in the future um and yeah things like qq and and doing definitely are like that's a core principle of them wait i remember you had a i don't know if it was a bookmarklet or it was a tool that um help to uh that help to sort of document your stack overflow queries what yeah. was that Re- well, describe that so and and that's what gather has become now um uh i had bullseye which yes. when i when i found an answer it and it worked with marky the markdownifier which was the web api version of gather um and it would basically you would you would click on a Stack Overflow solution page, you would just click inside the answer you wanted to save and it would create a markdown version for you that you could pop right into NVUltra or into NVUltra. Um, and Marky the Markdownifier has fallen by the wayside, uh, but Gather, the tool I most recently updated uh, in a manic episode, um, can it has special handling built in for stack overflow pages so if you and and it has options you can choose to only save the accepted answer you can choose to include or exclude comments because a lot of times the answer you want the actual answer will be in the comments to the answer Mm -hmm. like someone will say this didn't work why and someone else will say do it this way um, so there are times that I do or, or don't want to include the comments. Um, and all of that is now built into gather as options and basically can save any time I find what I'm looking for in stack overflow, which is the most common place I find programming answers. Um, I can save it as a markdown file, easily searchable, instantly indexed in NV ultra. I remember once you, when we first started working together, I mean, just for people's background, you started working with me really as a consultant on workflows and um, things related to my investigative work. And and that kind of grew into some real meaningful tool building. When we first started working together. I was, I remember I, I wrote you and I said, oh my God, I just dove into bunch, but here's the thing off the record. Are you going to be developing this thing for a while? Because I'm about <laughs> to go deep, right? Because it had been kind of left alone for a while. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, it's, it's there. It's there. And so I said, will you send me just a couple of your own bunch files so I can get a feel for it? And, and what I learned and have learned from you since is that often your tools, which have a million 
wonderful tentacles, you're only really employing a handful of them. Yeah. Is that the case yeah. with most of your tools? So it, when I first started programming, I was only coding for myself. I was solving problems. Like it started, like my first programming was basic. And then uh, like I moved on to Pascal and did a bunch of like game programming in high school. Uh, but most of where I really got into creative programming was with like VB script in an old app called Homeseer. Uh, which was a home automation app on PC. And uh, and like around what year-ish? Uh, this would have been like 97, 98. No. What was being automated? No, 2000, 2000, 2001. Um, okay. X10, X10 home appliance automation. Um, but uh, I, I didn't, I had never released, I had never shared any of these automations, they were just for me. And I wasn't active on like the message boards or anything. And it wasn't until I got a Mac uh, that I actually made something worth sharing or that I considered like maybe other people would want this. And the thing I learned very quickly is that everyone has their own needs. And as someone who eventually became part of kind of the software ecosystem, for Max, uh, which didn't start for me until 2000. Um, uh, I, I, I learned that there's kind of a standard number of features that make things generally usable. And I, be, I over time got really good at predicting what people, what feature requests were going to come in. Uh, so, so it can do this, but here's what I need to do. Yeah. Um, and and I learned how to build something that had more general appeal uh, than just solving my problem and to make something that could solve other people's problems. And that's kind of the core of everything I do is I made this to solve a problem I had, but I understood that my problems might not be universal. So I made it more general uh, so that it could solve other pre other people's problems as well. And well, and in doing so, you one of the other sort of tenets of everything you build is it gives the user such a sense of control mm -hmm. um, that would otherwise like you have to have a little bit of literacy to get to get deep into any of your tools, but only a little bit. Yeah, and and having a little bit. And then having your tools, like it's a, a, to use a military analogy, it's a force multiplier. It's like, <laughs> I can't believe, I mean, uh, Bunch is such a great example, right? I can write a text file in Bunch that had I tried to do this without Bunch would have been a really complex script that I would have had to spend a year studying a language to do. Well, and the beauty of Bunch is nobody does the same thing with it. No two people are using it to do the exact same thing. And you can share bunches with people as kind of an example. Here's what you can do, but it is 100%. You customize it to your specific needs and it is built to, to handle the most esoteric of, of requirements. Uh, the first, the first app, the first editor I used on Mac OS was TextMate and it blew me away having spent a lifetime using windows and, and kind of 
limited apps that you had to have a, a, a higher level of proficiency in order to customize. Yeah. Uh, than I had at the time. Um, I started using TextMate and I learned Ruby just to write TextMate extensions. Uh, but it provided, oh. it provided this framework that I could make it do anything. Any, yeah. any text editing tool I wanted, I could just make. And it was worth learning a new programming language just to be able to extend this app. And the extensibility of, of TextMate, it leads to problems for developers because not only are you supporting your own software, now you're supporting everything your users want to do with your software. Um, and it's you're opening up a whole can of worms. But... Like it's the reason I built custom processors into Marked uh, so people could make it work with Pandoc or ASCII doc or whatever processor they wanted to preview their their text files with was all kind of this text-based mentality of extensibility that the user should be able to extend what you've done. Well, then it's interesting that you bring up the, you'd said, you know, in, in, in developing something like TextMate, the developers had to support their app and all the things people wanted to do with it. You kind of walk this line where you make your tools, it almost seems like as extensible as possible, but you do stop short of making it so that everyone's making their own plugins, for instance. Is that intentional? Um, so part of that is a lack of skill on my on my part. Um, Doing is the first app I've ever written that allows, uh, truly has a plugin architecture. Um, and and I don't think, I, to this day, I don't think anyone's attempted to use it yet. But I don't these think days, I was even aware of the architecture. Yeah. These days, when I add a new feature to doing, I, I do it through a plugin architecture uh, where each feature exists as as a plugin that you can add and remove and doing even has built in commands for adding and removing its own sub commands. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so I built a true plugin architecture for doing, um, you could look at custom processors in marked as, as plugins, but really you're just, you're giving it a shell command to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shell command can be a custom script and you can go nuts with it, but it doesn't have a direct plugin architecture with its own like API and SDK uh, with which to interface. And I'm only now learning like exactly how, how to engineer something like that. Uh, and and I, I couldn't, I, I don't think I have the skill yet to do that with something like Marked uh, using objective C, but, um, I could see doing it with Swift, uh, creating like a JavaScript API for it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and adding that kind of extensibility, but it hasn't been for, it hasn't been because I didn't want to do the customer support. Like some of my favorite apps, like uh, keyboard maestro, for example, uh, have an, a full SDK, uh, that you can tap into. Uh, even LaunchBar has uh, has a, a JavaScript SDK and an AppleScript SDK that you can you can build your extensions off of. And and yeah, I, I want to offer that. It hasn't been out of fear of doing the customer support. It's been really a lack of uh, experience in doing that. 
Interesting. I always just assumed it was just a matter of like, here, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do everything I can to make this thing as usable as possible. But like, especially now at this point in your life, you've got a full-time job. Yeah. So it's like, you I'm, can't necessarily handle I'm, all that. I'm not the genius I'm given credit for being. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm just figuring this shit out like everybody else. I just happen to have a creative mind that, um, that can take a problem and I have enough of a foundation to come up with a solution, but there's always room for improvement in everything I do. And I'm constantly learning new things. And I'm not like, I, I, I worship at the feet of some of the, the, the developers in the community, uh, Daniel Jalka, Andreas Hagenberg, uh, Rich Siegel, like these people can do so much more than I can do and have so much more skill. And I learn, I learn stuff from them every day. What about, okay. So when, when I, when I talked about how so many of your tools have this thread of remembering your, it was very easy for you to connect it to your own life and your own sort of, you were, you were able to make an existential connection right away. Yeah. What about when it comes to this other feature of all your tools, which is just empowering people giving not, I don't mean that, I don't mean that to sound trite, but like giving people power over their machine um in ways that would otherwise take a whole different like a huge set of knowledge like yeah wh- why why do you do that <laughs> because you don't you don't you don't you don't you don't uh you don't rein it in at all you're just like here's everything <laughs> you might need this i don't know try it you gotta try it <laughs> okay so that's part of the beauty of of mac os um at least historically is it has given users these tools uh, to to build their own experience. And I found them extremely gratifying and fulfilling. And I basically realized that a lot of people just didn't have the building blocks to make use of tools like Automator and AppleScript and uh, the, the basic things that came with macOS. So when I would create a tool using these tools, like the Markdown service tools, for example, um, I would find ways to publish them so that people who didn't have those building blocks to start with could still experience the power that macOS provided. Um, and this is this is a thing that I never found on Windows. And it's it's what sold me on Macs was the the kind of power to the people that it offered. Um, and, and I just like, I, I got so much fulfillment from it and I get so much fulfillment from solving problems for other people. Like I really find a lot of meaning in providing tools to people to do things that they aren't, they need to do, but don't have the tools set themselves. So like, it's, it's a fulfilling, um, endeavor for me to kind of bridge that gap between here are the tools that you're given and here's what you can do with them. And here's a tool that you can now customize to do what you need to do with. Yeah. 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 That's a nice way of, of uh, describing what you make. Um, I'm curious, like in a given day, um, in a given day for you, what tools of yours are you using? Not not hacking on that building, but using. Oh man. Okay. So search link and doing are constant for me. NA, 
um, which is, is short for next action. Uh, anytime I CD into a project directory, it will tell me what I need to do next. Um, just it like pops up above my prompt and says, these are the things that last time you were here, you determined were going to be your next actions. Uh, so just as I CD around my computer, um, I use bunch frequently. Um, I use some custom mailmate commands that some of which I've published, some I haven't. Um, I use the Markdown service tools all the time. Uh, I use search link more than the Markdown service tools, but, mm. uh, yeah. What's running in the background all the time? Like tag filer? Tag filer is always running. Uh, I have some, uh, uh, there's another one I use called, I think I just called it image optim cause it uses image optim, but like for, for preparing all of my images for it's a Hazel script that runs. Um, I have a bunch of Hazel scripts that things just happen on my machine that I don't have to think about. They're not forefront Hazel, in my right, mind. Right, right, right. Not and, one of your uh, tools, but it's kind of something that you've cobbled together your own mini tools inside of. And how's it is integral to everything I do. Like how's it, I use how's it minus R, which runs a topic, uh, executes whatever executable code I put into a topic. Um, quick, quick explanation. How's it basically you create a markdown file that explains that reminds you how you do different things like build and deploy and edit. Um, so I can include code in like the deploy topic in the markdown file, I can include a code block that will run the deploy. And, you know, like whether that's a Jekyll build and an R sync, or whether it's a Swift compile or an Objective C, uh, like uh, an Xcode build command, I can put them all into a topic called deploy. And so no matter what project I'm in, I can type how's it minus R deploy, and it will deploy it using whatever. It, it, like a make file kind of thing. Uh, it just automates everything. And I alias that in fish. And so I just type BLD DEPL and I can deploy any project. Um, and that is, that's a constant for me. Uh, so yeah. many of these tools and it's, it like I use Mark once in a while. Uh, it's, it doesn't, I don't have a daily need for Mark when I'm, when I'm doing editing for work and I, I want to see like, where I repeated a word too many times marked is great. And, uh, and because our entire workflow is, is GitHub and Markdown based, uh, it's handy, but it's not this constant driver the way a lot of my smaller utilities are. And fish too, is something where you've written a bunch of stuff that you've. I've written a lot of stuff for fish and I'm on the verge of switching to Z show. Are um, you? I, I, I have that ADHD boredom setting in. Yeah, yeah, you've you've done fish. <laughs> I've done fish. Great. Um, like I still love fish. It's 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 still, you know, it's it's what I live in right now. Right. But uh but I As I, a... I I pop open a, an iTerm profile that loads up Z shell uh with oh my Z shell and all the plugins I'm playing with and and I'm like, oh man, Z shell's pretty fucking great. That's great. That's great. As a Z shell, I, I speak on I speak on behalf of all Z shell users. We're excited you might be diving in. <laughs> um, I I'm wondering. Well, first of all, let me just say for anybody who doesn't know this, and I'm sure most of you do, Brett has a section on his website. 
just called projects. And uh, you can go and look at uh, look up any of these projects because we're kind of mentioning them very quickly. But, you know, it's it's interesting as you're talking, I'm realizing again, I'm going to look at this list like so many of these things, these tools are just built on highly readable text files. Right. Mm -hmm. Like how is it a how is it a file is is a is a very readable, simple text file. A bunch file is a very readable, simple text file. you know, like I, I, even like something like quick question, which I love so much where you just can get on the command line and say, you know, like this is the question and this is the answer. And it creates a text file where, yeah. you know, the name of the text file is the question and inside is the answer. And what quick question lets you do is sort of query that basically. And, and it's all and do and doing so and NA both work, work with task paper format files. Yes. Doing. And yeah, exactly. It's just, this is something that's so, so striking to me about, your work. And I think why those of us who use your stuff and get excited about anything you're doing, the reason it's exciting is it kind of feels like the world ought to be this way, right? Like (laughs) it, it really does feel like, um, something like a a direction the world could have gone that it didn't go. (laughs) Well, there's, there's, there's a movement that's been going on for 10 years. This is like plain text, Plain text revival. I mean, it's where it's where it all started. Like the first right. days of Unix, everything was text files. And then people started building WordStar and WordPerfect and all these formats that eventually went by the wayside, leaving all of your documents inaccessible. Yep. But the thing you could still access was your text files. Yeah. Your your readme files were still perfectly readable. And people have realized that there's no there's no format. Even a pages document from five years ago requires conversion to open yep. now. Yep. And or, like, or in some cases, not pages, but certain WordPerfect, you might need an emulator to go in. Oh, or yeah. we, we have a computer running Windows 95 here. So <laughs> like an actual old computer for fun. And I actually popped in all my disks that I thought were dead because they weren't working when I went through an emulator. I'm like, oh my God, all my files are here. <laughs> yeah. But but your text file, no one's ever had a problem opening a text file. So my if I'm going to have that faith that I'm going to remember something, and that it's going to be accessible, it has to be in plain text. Yep. Because that is the one format that will outsurvive every other format. Uh, and the stuff that I record now and back up to my Synology and back up to Glacier, uh, like these files will persist and I will always have this information. Yeah, it's a beautiful, elegant thing. I mean, I've I've actually, what I did this year was started to make sure I have kind of like an archive directory, but in it is the text filiest thing I could come to as an archive of my Twitter, uh, my full like history of tweets, my, Mm -hmm. all of my WhatsApp conversations, um, all of my messages, conversations, like uh, all these things are in sort of some version of a text file, whether it's like a CSV or a, you know, and, and I know that it's become a memory bank for me. Like, I'm starting to use it. I'm not that old, but I'm getting to a point in my life where I realize I really need to have a little, you know, grab bag I can reach into and pull out what I need rather yeah. than having to try to search around my computer and figure out, did I write a document about that or whatever? Anyway, that again, plain text, right? Like CSV yeah. files, um, markdown files, whatever. Yeah. Beautiful scripts, right? Like, Scripts are a way of remembering like, oh, this is yeah. how I wrote this thing. Or well, I wrote this thing. That to is this. totally automation. Like that is 
automation is great for time saving, but that's only half the story. Like if you automate something, you are basically creating a permanent record of how to do something properly. Yes. And you're going to do it consistently and you're not going to miss steps. And it basically, it sets in stone a process. Uh, and it may, it might take you four hours to write an automation that only takes 30 seconds to run. Uh, but for me, like when I come back to that a month later and can't remember what the commands were or what the sequence was or what, what things had to happen in the process. Um, and that's part of when I built house it, like it doesn't, it doesn't just run things. You can also include notes that will come yes. up to say, here's the step you need to do before Which is more this how runs. I use it. Yeah. And here's, here's the step you need to do after it runs. Like these are things that can't be automated but I can record them and I can have them come up in an automated way to remind me like about processes and yeah, it's memory. It's all memory. This reminds me of, um, the, uh, okay. So this is something I wanted to talk to you about, which is actual documentation of tools because, um, your documentation is, is really excellent and, you know, clearly written and, and very, very sort of like geared towards the reader. Like you're speaking to the reader as the person doing the documentation rather than like, I don't know what you would call the voice of most documentation, but I don't know <laughs> who the fuck it's talking to engineers. It's, it's like a machine person they're talking to. Yeah. Um, but your documentation is so crisp and clear. And I wondered if um, I wondered if the process of writing documentation happens in a sort of isolated way when you're done with something or if it's actually part of creating a tool like are you writing a little bit and going oh this makes me realize i should add this to the tool and then you're programming and then you're writing how does it how does it happen for you so the initial like the initial creation of a tool is a flurry of coding and there's not a lot of pausing um just like Oh, and I can, it can do this and it can do this and it can do this and it, oh, and I'll like rewind, restart, get it done. Then I'll sit back and be like, how would I explain to this to somebody? Um, this thing that I just put 14 hours into, how would I, how would I convey my own excitement about this? And I sit down and I write the initial documentation from that point on. Every time I add a feature, I immediately add it to the documentation uh, with mm -hmm. something like bunch. Like every time I add a new feature, the first thing I do is write about it. And like the bunch documentation is some of the best documentation I've written to date. Uh, it's literally a whole website full of, of yeah. explanations and, and step-by-step -step, uh, procedures. Um, and, and documenting it also helps me find bugs. So it becomes part of the workflow. Uh, I say, this is what it should do. And then I go test it and it doesn't do that. And, <laughs> and so then I will revise the code to fit. Fact checking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The fastest way to find bugs is to make a screencast about something. You, <laughs> oh, totally, you totally. Wrong, will. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like there's there's an initial flurry of coding and then documentation. But from that point on, yeah, documentation is part of the development process. Yeah, yeah. That thing about screencasting, helping <laughs> to find bugs, it's almost like I'm sure you've had this experience. You, you go on a Stack Overflow and you're about 
three sentences done from posting your question and you're like, Oh, I know the answer. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I just needed to write about it first. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Writing um, things okay. out, writing things out in, in plain English or whatever your native language is um, definitely is a problem solving step. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me ask you this last question. I know that when you were making changes to gather, recently it was your first time really diving into swift yeah and i have a two-part question to close this out <laughs> one is do you ever have a sort of roadmap in your mind for what you want to do next and i don't mean what you want to add to an existing tool but like are there are there ever tools that are just in your head that you want to build or is it are you reactionary enough in terms of like holy shit i need this now i'm going to build it now that doesn't happen. That's my first question. <laughs> so usually like a tool like gather, which was actually a revision of multiple tools before it, but like, it'll be something that is an idea in the back of my head for a while before I actually sit down and start coding on it. Um, it'll be a cool thing that I think could happen, but they're like, no one has published yet. Um, so like I'll, I'll first I'll go Google <laughs> and if someone's yeah. already done it, great. I will gladly use other people's tools, but um, yeah, like then I'll, I'll start to code. It's not reactionary uh, so much as, as it is exploratory. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And then like feature additions are often due to responses from after I publish something, someone will say that's cool, but can it do? And I will make a judgment call. Yeah. That actually fits with the original mission statement and it should be able to do that. Or that's out of scope. Um, you know, that's, that's another tool you're thinking of. Yeah. And, and, and I will choose to, or not to add a feature. Um, but the initial, it's always just exploratory to begin with. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so and so do you have a sense? Is there something banging around in your head or that's a that's a awful. Uh, is there something kind of uh, in your head now that you're thinking like, God, if I ever if I build another app, like an actual app, like a marked or, or an NV ultra or something, which I know is still in progress, like, <laughs> do you have a sense of what that would be? I don't have to say it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Like right now, right like right now what my mind obsesses about is getting NV Ultra up and out. Uh and I think about the things that I need it to do and that I that I want it to do. Um and I'm I'm focused on the tools that I have in progress right now. I don't currently have anything in mind for an app that needs to be built. It will come, you know. Yeah, give it a little time and there'll be something <laughs> else that I need to tackle. Um, but no, I don't like I've built as of this moment, I built everything that's on my mind. So the last the second part of the two part question, and then we'll do gratitude for sure. We're just running a little long. I think that's fine. Um, is now that you've gone into Swift, you know, I was thinking about you were saying you, you learned Ruby really as a way of um customizing text mate right yeah. uh and and 
Ruby's just not like a language that it, people are seem to be like picking up now, right? No, I'm not. I'm not making not, fun of it. It's or not anything. the I'm new not kid doing, on the block. No, no and I, and I'm not even playing that game. Like I, I, I don't like that kind of discussion too much because I actually don't know Ruby, but I find it a pretty beautiful language. It when is. I, when I do explore it, or especially when you write something, and I just kind of for me that I have to look through or whatever. Um, but do you imagine yourself? in five years thinking of yourself as a swift person rather than a Ruby person. Yes. Um, not to mention bash well, person. You're a fucking bash person. My brother. <laughs> I, I was, I haven't written a bash script for, I don't know how long, like I learning swift was extremely, I was very grateful uh, that I found it in me to learn a new language because there have been a few languages on my list, Go, Rust, Swift, um, that I have known. If I was going to keep up my coding skills, I needed to learn. Um, yeah. And I was worried that I'd gotten to an age where I just wasn't able to pick up new languages anymore. Mm. Um, and so the, the flurry of coding that led to uh, developing enough basics in Swift to write a small app uh, was just so grateful to know that my brain can still do that. Right. Um, and I hope that five years from now I'm well-versed in Swift and I've also picked up Rust and Go and, mm. and Scala and like really like gotten myself into modern, modern programming languages. Uh, I, I hope, I hope well into, we'll say my seventies, uh, <laughs> that, that I continue to learn. Yeah. You can always go back to basic. <laughs> did you have I'm the book? Actually, did you have the, the binder and the slip case? I did. I did. Yes. With that tan, that tan yes. knurled cover. Yes. And beautifully designed, by the way. I actually am working uh, at work right now. We're working on a Twitter based compiler language uh, that people can send tweets that will cause a massive Raspberry Pi cluster to perform yes. different functionality. Um, so as a part of doing this, I have to dig into the literally the basics of compiler theory. Uh. And, and it is, it's like going back to basic because it's, it's, it's the basics of compiler theory because we want us a, a concise language yeah with very simple uh, outputs. And yeah, it reminds me a lot of working in basic. That's amazing. I love it. Basic. You know, I recently got a TRS 80. Yeah. Uh, trash the, 80. Yeah. The trash 80, but it's like the handheld version. It was from a, a friend who used it as a reporter for the Star Tribune. No uh, way. On like a Southeast Asia trip in the eighties. Oh, wow. And, That's um, and it works great. And I'm thinking of just, I want to, he had programmed uh, a space invaders game in there, but it's not there anymore. You know, by typing in. Was 8, this, did this have like a, like an 80 character wide by, by yeah. eight pixel tall little screen on it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful keyboard works like a charm still fucking works. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And the best part is that he gave me the custom documentation that the star tribune used, which is the, uh, Minnesota or the twin cities paper. And they actually said instructions for using the trash AD. <laughs> 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 At the top is amazing. Nice. Um, 
All right, let's do some gratitude and thanks for talking to me uh, about about uh, about you. That was super interesting. Thanks for the delightful questions. That was really fun. Yeah, it was a good time. I, I, no. <laughs> I, had, been, I had been hoping for the Jeff treatment. I, I feel after like your, now you guys after know. Your interview with Christina. Yeah, if if one of you is gone, then the other one's going to get interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to go first? You want me to go first? Sure, sure. I uh, I'm actually picking task paper this week. Uh, yeah. Task paper. Uh, Jesse Grossjean created a very simple uh, text-based format for creating to-do lists and and adding some basic tagging and and due dates and things like that, all with just text files you could read in any editor. And then he built a an app uh, to streamline working with uh, these text-based files where you could you know have keyboard shortcuts for completing tasks or moving them around between projects. And, uh, and there's a whole query syntax uh, that you can use to, uh, you can take a huge task paper file and query out just the the things you need. For example, your next actions, things that don't have, or that have a start date that is current and aren't finished yet. Like you can you can get a list of those things and and batch add tags to them. And um, it's not a complex program. Uh, it is a very elegant, uh, very easy to use way to accomplish a lot of what you would do in like something like OmniFocus, uh, but using all plain text. And I love it. And as mentioned, uh, a lot of the apps and tools that I've written work directly with the task paper format because it is a universal text-based format that it just, it works. Do it, your, your tool doing calls for a yeah. task paper. Yeah. Yep. And NA. Awesome. I love that. You know, I, I recently found, I, I used to, I was doing a um, research project about five years ago and it involved interviewing a ton of teachers and asking them basically the same set of questions. And um, the, the way that my list of questions went is there were a couple of questions that had to get asked. I had to ask these to every single person because it was a research project. And the rest were like sort of a menu of options. And I was able to work with custom styles in task paper where I made um, an, a, a list of questions for an interview and when I would finish a question, I would I would click it and it wouldn't like strike it out. It would just turn it kind of light gray. So it was yeah. kind of there, but in the background, because some reason the striking it out was just noisy to me as uh-huh. I was looking at the transcript. And then it was actually able to show me like, hey, you forgot this. You forgot that you know, these are one of the important questions you've been rambling on. You have to answer this question before this interview is done. Like it's one of those things. It's just super extensible. Um, yeah. And actually, just fine use, as it is. I use custom themes that color. Uh, tasks uh based on tags i i use priority tags at priority one through at priority five yeah and i have i have little scripts that let me with keyboard shortcuts assign a priority very quickly yeah and then the tasks the background color of the task changes based on its priority so (sighs) i can see at a glance like what is high priority at any given time and there's a developer who, I mean, I remember listening to an interview with him on Systematic, is a lot like you, and and really has as his value a sort of, you know, when you open up an app, are you able to just comfortably, calmly start working? Yeah. You know, and I love that. 
I love that idea. And, and task paper is certainly one of those. Um, my app is peak P E E K by yes. big Z labs. You know yep. this one, Brett? I do. So it's a, it's a paid app. It's around eight bucks and it's a quick look extension for your Mac. And it's a wild quick look extension. It will change your life. First of all, it works with more than 500 file extensions. So I know, you know, if anybody's ever been in that situation where you, you know, you've got your in finder and you hit the space bar to quick look and all you get is the icon, like that is almost not happening to me anymore. Right. But more incredible uh, is that you can do like, if you're looking at code, you can jump to lines, you can copy uh, mm-hmm. text. It does scroll restoring. Um, it does syntax highlighting. Uh, it's just, it's the most beautiful thing. It's everything that I always want to be able to do when I quick look something. I don't want to have to open it. I just and, want to grab this one piece out of it. And markdown preview. And the markdown preview is really nice. Really with, nice. With with automatic with, table of contents and everything? Yes, with a sidebar that has your main headers. I mean, it's just... And it, that copy paste is so handy. And it works beautiful. in forklift and pathfinder too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so so good. Yep. Oh wait, did does my forklift do that because of? Yeah. <laughs> I yep. was like, oh, forklift does this too. Yeah, it, I've it, just started it, reacquainting myself with forklift after reacquainting <laughs> myself with Pathfinder and deciding I still didn't want to be in that universe. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, after it was just this year, I think um, forklift directly integrated peek into the preview um also yeah. integrates with who spot if you and uh, kaleidoscope if... yeah beautifully yeah. you just yes. you click two files in the split finder window and and there's a button there and you get kaleidoscope for diff uh for diff display so good stuff yes all right brett been a pleasure hey thank you thank you for a fun interview episode yeah, it was fun. Get some sleep. Get some sleep. The system is going down low. Hey there, good people. Before you go, we have a bunch of new places where you can interact with us. Please check out our Instagram feed, our YouTube channel, Twitter, of course, and sign up for the Overtired newsletter, which will sort of pick up where the show leaves off with expanded show notes, uh, a little bit of what the three of us get up to between episodes. And let's face it, there'll be some musings. How can you resist musings? You'll find details for all the ways to interact with us in the show notes and at overtired.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening.